Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be The Wolf. We're going to talk about a subject that I really love to talk about because I know how powerful healing trauma is to being the wolf and creating the life that you really, really want to live. So we're going to talk about if past trauma, keeping you from the life that you deserve. And I am here with Catherine Wells. She is a gifting strategist. I know everybody is like, what is that? They're getting excited because the season of gifting is coming upon us. Uh, Catherine, would you, I would love for you to share with us what a gifting strategist is and what it is that you do. Okay, so I work with a lot of corporate companies, but also small businesses in their gifting practices throughout the year. So it's not just during the holidays. It's also, what are you doing for your staff during the year? What are you doing for your clients during the year? Like one of the the, um, concepts we push a lot is like, yes, you can give gifts at the holiday, but imagine the impact it would have if you give it um, in the summer, like happy summer, have a great time with family. And it's a gift with beach balls and sunglasses and towels, like that's going to stick out more to your client than if you are one of 50 gifts they're receiving during the holidays. By all means, do send gifts during the holidays. It is nice or send, but maybe send something smaller. Maybe, you know, spread your budget out over, over the year, I think. And it just has more of an impact. It's consistent. It's not just one time a year. So I work with companies doing that and finding, um, gifts that are appropriate to the occasion. So for example, um, a golf tournament that we pitched for, they were uh, doing the golf tournament to benefit a brain cancer research group. So the gifts that we suggested for the attendees was brain teasers, little gifts that, you know, help you play, you know, help you engage in games that keep your brain kind of active. So it's it's more of a strategy and less of a, oh, here's a gift basket, let's send it. It's definitely more um, streamlined and personalized and customized. That's what I do. I love this. And one thing that I kind of really love about this is, you know, everybody has their own thing about gifts. You know, some people are like, I don't want a gift. And other people are like, just give me all the gifts. I don't care what they are. Give the bigger, the better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and for me personally, 
I didn't necessarily want a big gift, but I wanted a gift that had thought. Meaningful. It's like it exactly. I mean, it's probably no surprise because I'm striving to live a meaningful life and I help my clients live a meaningful life and being the wolf is about living a meaningful life. So of course I want my gifts to be meaningful, but you're right in the fact that those kind of gifts stand out. Yeah. It's like like one of the best gifts I ever received was something I would have never thought of when I was walking the, or I was about to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And my boyfriend at the time got me like a little, very lightweight rain shell. And I would have never even thought about needing that. It's like a 500 mile hike. (laughs) And let me tell you, it rained a lot. (laughs) And I was so grateful for that because it was a very thoughtful Thoughtful. gift. You put in the time to uh realize that this was something I would really need and appreciate and yes without you having to ask for it because it sounds like you didn't have the forethought to think of it (laughs) but it's it's something he picked up on like oh this would be really nice and it holds a lot more weight than let's say you know a $200 gift sometimes so it's it's the thought that counts for sure And what I say with my, like to my clients is even the smallest of detail can make a difference. So let's say that you have a client who has a dog named Stacy. Why not send Stacy a gift? Because we know how us pet owners are. Like if you love our pet, we love you. So keeping track of these little details that seem insignificant can actually mean a lot in in, um, nurturing that relationship. So that's what strategy is about. That's what we love to do. Yeah. And here's here's an example of a very poor thought out gift, or I can give you two. <laughs> one was one boyfriend years ago gave me like it was one of those like gender neutral colognes that I used to wear way back when. This is my super early 20s. And he what used was all of it. It was like CK1 or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like that. my my early 20s. And he used all of it. And so what did he give me for my birthday was a new bottle of that. For himself. <laughs> well, he owed it to me anyway. Yeah. I was like, that is not thoughtful. And another one that was terrible was, yeah, I'd really like a soda stream, but I don't want one for Christmas. And what did I get for Christmas? Yes. Like, yes. We have a we have a rule in our house not a rule but like just this general understanding that um oh I really want that but I don't want my Christmas credit used on that like I want my Christmas credit used on these items over here so we make it very clear (laughs) when or what we want yeah yeah well and so one of the things I think about why a gift that is thoughtful is so meaningful it mean because it means that you are listened to and you are heard and you are seen. And so many people struggle with feeling heard, feeling like they are listened to, feeling like they are seen. And I think this is probably a good place to pivot into trauma because 
one of the effects I think of having trauma in your life is that we shrink and we get smaller and smaller as a result. And I, I want to put this definition out there for people because I think a lot of people hear trauma and they're like, oh my God, this terrible, horrible thing happened to them. And and I don't even know if I want to hear what happened because it's like trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Um, but the reality is, is what registers to your nervous system as trauma is any event that is emotionally overwhelming so much that you cannot process the emotions fully. So some people go through very traumatic situations and they come out the other side fine because for whatever reason, they have the resources to handle emotionally what it was that was happening and they processed all of the emotional content. So uh, something very little, and a lot of our trauma starts when we're little because we don't have a lot of resources yet. So somebody could be, a three-year-old could be lost in the grocery store. And that as a three-year-old, you lose your parent in that moment. And it's very overwhelming. It's very scary. And your nervous system is on overload. There's so much fear. And unless you have the opportunity to process all of that emotion all the way through, that creates a trauma in your life. For sure. So it's funny you should mention that. And this is a working theory, but I think I'm pretty solid on it. I think one of the reasons that gifting is so important to me is because I didn't have that gifting experience where someone really knew what I wanted and really was invested in me and really, you know, knew what I was about and what I appreciate. So for me, giving a gift to someone and it's very specified to them has a lot of meaning. Like, it's like, yes, like you said, this person feels heard and feels wanted or appreciated or, you know, like acknowledged in some way. And so that was something that subconsciously, I think, led to me creating this kind of business. So it's just weird how life happens and how one thing leads to another. And I never would have thought I would be doing this, you know, 10 years ago. So something. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And I think a lot of the really meaningful careers have some base in what people's trauma is. Um, a lot of times what becomes super meaningful to you is a result of what you did not receive as a child, what you did not, um, yeah, what you did not get. Like for me, I think part of the reason I do what I do, I mean, I know, is that I spent 20 years seeking, trying to figure out how to feel better. <laughs> because I had mountains and mountains of big trauma and lots of little, little paper cut traumas along the way. And it, when I started figuring out what worked, it became incredibly important for me to help others do it in a much faster way than the 20 years of seeking it took me. And so, you know, that place of you also, there's some source of what you didn't receive or like, I didn't receive trauma healing. <laughs> you didn't receive um, being heard and seen in the way that you really and understood in yeah. the way that you yeah. needed. 
there's a lot of truth to that for sure. Um, yeah, trauma is an interesting thing. Like, you know, now I'm starting to look at trauma as a, gosh, I don't want to say a gift because that sounds like just a little too cliche and really I would have rather not received it. But who it's made me on the other side, I would not have become the person I am today had I not endured all of that in my childhood and in my adult life. And, you know, your relationships as an adult are informed by the experiences in your childhood. And it just is like one thing leads to another, leads to another. Um, and I think I would have been stuck in that like perpetual, just trying to figure things out. And 2020 was said, no, no, you're not, you're done. You're, you're like sitting down, you're gonna deal with this stuff for once and for all. And my business had a little bit of success in 2020 because people wanted to keep uh, relationships, connections and nurture connections and gifts was one way they could do that. Um, while not, you know, uh, exposing themselves to, to danger. So when that happened, it was a very big client. And I just remember being scared, like, oh my God, this is for real. Like, oh my God, this business is for real. Um, and I just remember being scared, like, I don't have what it takes to handle this level of business. Like, this is my first major client. I did it. Great. But honestly, I'm just not prepared mentally, emotionally. I knew there was a lot that, that was in there. Um, I had a, a job before that. Um, you know, I've actually, now that I think about it, I've had a lot of jobs that just didn't work. Just They were great jobs. They were um, nonprofit, mission-driven causes. I worked for some great people that I really admired and loved, but I could not sit still at a desk. I could not like just, I could not be small anymore. I could not be working for other people's dreams or for, you know, the cause is great, but I needed to work for something for me that, that was fulfilling to me. And so the last straw was um, 2015 was when I had a boss that rightfully so exercised her right to say no to attend my daughter's um, performances at school. And, you know, she's every right to do that. But about the third or fourth time, I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like someone having authority over what I can and can't do in my life. And I've had that way too long in my life. I was a foster child growing up. So there was a lot of other people's rules and other people's standards. And um, one of the foster families I lived with, who I love and I'm very close to, they were very religious. Um, so I fell into that. So my identity was very much informed by where I was and what I needed to do to survive. Um, but yeah, in 2020, well, going back to having all these jobs, it just didn't sit well with me. Like they were great jobs. There was nothing wrong except for one. And I just wasn't happy in it. Something in me kept saying, this is not for you. This is not for you. And I'm a big Oprah fan, like grew up with Oprah and Oprah says something about, um, along the lines of like, I know I was born to do good or for something better or, you know, so just having some impact in the world. And that stuck with me. And I don't know exactly what that impact is. I'm getting like glimpses and <sighs> tastes of it, but I, that something in me knew I, I meant for better, like all this that I've gone through, it, it, it there's a greater purpose for it. Um, so in 2020, I, I had this 
okay, if I really want to be successful, I need to get over a lot of stuff. I'm very like, you know, uh, analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis. And I overthink things because that's what I've had to do to survive. I've right. had to like be aware of every possible situation. Yeah, walk into a room, 18,000 backup plans. You yes. know the escape route. You don't even yes. know that you know the escape route, but your yes. brain is like. Yes. And I mean, part of that is being emotionally, um, like my EQ is really high because it's had to be. I'm very aware of what people are, you know, possibly thinking or doing, but that became a hindrance as, as an entrepreneur. I, if I sat and thought about every thought that everybody had about me, I wouldn't move forward. And I kept running up into that wall. I kept running into that wall and I knew it. It was very, like a very tangible wall almost. Like I kept moving forward. I'm like, yeah, I got some success. And then I'm like, wait, can I really handle it? And so I read this book, um, The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris. And it talked about, yeah, it talks about adverse childhood experiences. And, you know, I went down the list and I read the book. And for me, it was like someone had opened the floodgates. Everything in that book described me. And I think of the um, 10 adverse child experiences, I had had seven. And like, I did not know until I read that book how not okay I was. I I was just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Look, I, you know, survived. I've got a daughter. She's healthy. I'm healthy. I put myself through college. I, you know, got a master's degree. I've had great jobs. You know, people like me, respect me. You know, I, I'm involved in my community. Like, I'm fine. What's there to talk about? What's there to talk about? But finally, you know, after years and years, my life is in a stable place. I'm happily married. My daughter's almost off to college, which I can't believe. Um, and it was time. It was time for me to start this work and it took, it's taking, you're never really healed. You just learn how to live with things a little bit better um, or a lot better. And two years, it was two years of very hard work of going to therapy every week for an hour of, I did TMS therapy, um, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a, a becoming even more popular, a procedure that helps people with PTSD. And in reading this book by Nadine Burke Harris, I realized like, oh, I have PTSD. Oh, these things that I think are normal of me, like the emotional numbness, like the, you know, like super hyper awareness of things. I thought that was just me. I thought that was just my personality. Like, well, that's how I am. When I realized that, no, that is a result of what happened to me over the, you know, first 40 years of my life, it, it opened me up and it was a little, it was an identity crisis. Everything I thought I knew about myself was not necessarily true. And there's reasons why I do this. And so having to peel back, look at myself, it was hard. It was hard to accept these truths about me that I had never once seen. And I pride myself on being so self-aware, but I missed the mark on this one. Totally missed the mark at how unhealthy emotionally I was. And so it was time. It was time I was in a place where I could do it. And um, one of the things I say often is that it's a luxury to be able to take the time to heal. It's a luxury to, you know, take 
time off work if you need to, to have the resources to go work out, to have the resources to go see a therapist, like to dig into all of this is a luxury. Like my TMS appointments were six weeks every day. Like I had to go, you know, it was an hour of my day. That, and I was very conscious of what a luxury that was that I was given to be able to heal. And not everybody has that. And even then, it took me two years to feel like, okay, I'm on the other end of it. So I want to backtrack a bit. And, you know, you talk about the adverse childhood experiences, um, events. And what were, you know, of those 10, because I think a lot of people really don't understand what creates traumatic reactions. And there's a lot of stuff going on, like people say like, oh, doing, trying to do everything all by yourself is a trauma response. This is a trauma response. This is a trauma response. And there's a piece of, yeah, people are talking about that. And then, but nobody really understands like what the actual events are. And and I'd say you probably had more CPTSD than, um, than, and and that's something that a lot of people don't understand what that is. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But do you remember what some of the adverse childhood events were on that list? The ones on the list I can remember. Um, gosh, you know, two years ago, I just remember being like, oh my god, seven of these are me. But, you know, there's things like parents that are on drugs, um, a parent that is in prison or gone, um, just not present. I think there was, I don't remember the other ones, there was neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Right. So these really traumatic events um, that as a child, it was just my childhood. You know, a lot of the kids yeah. around me went through similar things. I was better off than a lot of people. So um, it seemed normal to me. But yeah, after a lot of time has gone on, and like you said, these little micro traumas and everything built on top of it, I definitely, it is CPTSD 100%. And that was hard to learn. It was hard to learn that I had PTSD. Like I thought it was fine. And then to learn I have CPTSD because that, you know, for people that don't know, it en encapsulates a lot of different traumas and right. um, it's hard. It's, it, it's yeah. a web that you have to untangle and be willing to sit with and acknowledge and reprocess in a way that life is more enjoyable. And there's, well, okay, so CPTSD, for those of you that don't know, is really about a lot of, it's it's like little, it's almost like little traumas. It's like, so if you get a paper cut, it's not really a big deal. It's, you know, not like someone just chopped your arm off. But if you get a paper cut in the same place a thousand times, you have a really ugly wound there. And what we do as children is we're trying to survive. And what our base level instinct is, is that we need to belong and we need to be loved in order to survive because we don't do not yet have the resources as a three, a four, a five and a six year old to survive on our own. So therefore, we bend our behavior 
to try to keep ourselves safe, to survive. So if we have a parent that's neglectful, we probably have some abandonment issues. So we probably grow up being very strong, very hyper independent, and we cannot count on somebody to do what they're going to say because that was our experience over and over and over again. So to trust somebody, to actually allow them to show up for you is next to impossible if you grew up that way. And even if you try, you're so guarded that you're actually pushing the people away and you don't even realize it. This is going on at an unconscious level because the unconscious part of your mind is trying to protect you from what it knows love and support is because love and support was the thing you were supposed to get from your parents and your childhood. And if you didn't get it in the way that you needed, you don't really think that it's possible. You don't have that nurturing thing. You're stunted in some ways because you don't know what that's like. So you go around the world functioning as a child in a lot of ways, you know, like emotionally, mentally. Yeah. Right. 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 And you're right. You're not aware that you're doing it. You're, I was very, you know, I think of instances where I pushed my now wife away and I'm like, whatever. But I remember just being so angry. Like I am righteously angry. Like, no, I am righteously, you know, not going to trust you. But then now I look back at it from the other side of it. And I'm like, she really did love me because I pushed her away more than once. And I was very aggressive about it. And that's the thing. She was one of the first people that that could deal with that and be like, it's okay. I know you're mad. And I, you know, my healing is my own, but it definitely took a support system to help me through it. And my partner was one of them. My friends were others, family. Like I, because of the realization that everything I thought about my life wasn't true or was questionable, um, I started reaching out to people and making myself vulnerable and crying in front of them. And that was such a new thing for me. Um, you know, my friends, I kept them at a distance and we do fun things, but I was never vulnerable with them. And then during this process, I started to be. And 
it was helpful. It was helpful to be able to cry and someone hold my hand or someone to hold space for me. And that is something I had never allowed myself to do. Um, so raw, so like openly and raw. So it really was part of the healing, but you have to be ready for that. And it takes practice. It's, it's like a muscle you have to work. And, um, but my trauma made me emotionally numb. I didn't want to feel anything. I had to keep everything, you know, at distance, but now I wear my heart on my sleeve. You're going to know what I think. And I'm going to be kind and empathic in a way that I wasn't able to be before. I'm not as cynical as I used to be um, because I've experienced love and healing. And it, it just sounds so cliche. Like if you had known me five years ago, you, like I, I find myself saying like, yeah, you should definitely tap into the universe and see what it's saying. And I would have made fun of people like me five years ago. Okay. But now I get it. Oh, be open to possibility and not like closed off. Like, well, what can that mean? What can that mean? But it took a while. It, it's practice. It takes practice. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I remember not crying in front of anybody. Never. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And I had this breakup where I just lost it and everybody saw me cry and it was the most scary thing. But the thing about when we shut down our emotions and so many of us have been taught to, we've been taught to either by example, maybe our parents did. And so we learned from them or we do it because it's a trauma response. It's safer to not have emotions. You know, maybe you, if you cry too much or any of those things, laugh too much, you might mm -hmm. get in trouble, you might get hurt, whatever it might be. But the thing about stuffing your emotions, y'all, if you're listening, is <laughs> you're not only suppressing the bad emotions, you're suppressing the good emotions. Yes. So I'm really struck by you were working in some jobs that had meaningful missions. Mm -hmm. And because you had all this trauma and you were stuffing so much down, keeping all the emotions locked up because it was safe, right? You've got had to mm -hmm. survive. I'm curious if you think now being able to feel in the way that you can feel now, if those jobs might have felt different. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I believed in the mis mission, you know, I, I worked for the LA LGBT Center, which is one of the biggest LGBT centers in the country, if not the world, you know, there, that's a, a mission um, near and dear to my heart. I worked for the Catalina Conservancy. So I worked in all fields of mental health nonprofits. Um, and the work was definitely good work. And I could see how it was needed in the community. Um, I can understand that not everybody has resources like we've talked about, but there was a part of me that's like, well, I figured it out. You gotta figure it out. You gotta like step up for yourself at some point and like figure it out. So there was that, you know, disconnect. And now I have just a deeper appreciation. Like people don't have the resources. And I was luckier than some that I, I did have access to therapy. I did have, you know, that one person in my life, my grandmother, who just was a foundation for me. Um, and not everybody has that. So it's made me more understanding more. Is it empathic or empathetic? Empathic? You know what I'm saying? Um, 
it's made me more, I don't know. Part of the problem is though, that it's made me feel more, but also makes me sad more. Like I feel other people's pain in a way that I hadn't. Um, you know, I hear stories about other people and like, I get like an ache in my heart for them, which is so foreign to me. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it would have affected my work. Um, however, like I said, it, it brought me to where I need to be and I love what I do. I mean, I get paid to give people gifts and I like, it, it's ridiculous to me sometimes, but I love what I do. And that, that path brought me here and it's made me, it shapes my vision for my business. One of the things I really feel passionate about is being able to offer flexible scheduling for moms, single moms, um, students in college, retired grandparents, like there's, and I can relate to the college single mom thing. Like that was hard. I needed help. And I had these jobs that were nine to five. And it's like, I could like living with this fear that I might lose my job if I take too much time off. You know, women, we know this, how this feels. And now to me, it's like, I make that an effort to have flexible schedules, to have um, people in whatever walks of life um, be able to work at Tinsel Limbo. So that's important. One of the things that I love so much, not everybody I have on here is entrepreneurs by any means, but most of the people that come on the show that are entrepreneurs, there is an important thing that happens in this whole be the wolf and doing what you're born to do and making a business that's right for you. I think a lot of people go into entrepreneurship because they want to create that thing that's the right thing for them. And as a result, so many of these people are creating businesses where they're really taking care of their people. Yes. And a lot of these women and men have come from this corporate structure where it's profit, 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 profit. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Don't get me wrong. That is an important thing. Like for my business, I want to create more profit because that means that I'm able to help more people. Yes. I have more resources that I can actually fulfill my mission at a greater, um, greater rate. But I love that you are creating a space like so many other powerful entrepreneurs that you want people to be able to have that balanced, fulfilled life. And, you know, when you let people take care of themselves, they show up better for you. They take care of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just remember being at a desk and being like, I can, like, I'm literally, I feel trapped at this desk until five o'clock. And I hated that feeling. Um, and that, and a nine to five is not for everyone. It's not, yeah. but that is, you know, the most available or the standard or whatever. And, but I think it's changing, which is good. I think post pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, workers, employees have a little bit more leverage than they used to. And I'm, I'm hoping that the whole culture of work-life balance keeps moving forward. And I think there's an opportunity for big change. Um, I agree. But we'll see. We'll see. I agree. I, I, I plan to contribute to that change. So 
It's interesting you talk about the not being able to sit still at a desk. And I always had like my job job. I had side projects. I always had things I had to be doing. And I remember going and visiting family for a few days. And after two days, I was crawling up the walls, not because of the familial triggers. <laughs> That's right. a totally different thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a totally different thing. We'll put that over there. But just the fact that I wasn't working and doing and going. Yeah. And because the reality is, and I, I know this now because of, you know, the, the reason I couldn't sit still was because if you sit still, the emotions and the stuff from your trauma bubbles up yep. and your unconscious mind is trying to pivot away from that stuff because it thinks those emotions are danger. Yes. And so you talked about resources earlier and you felt so fortunate that you had the resources to heal and work with therapists, work with um, the trans, tell me again, the TMS? TMS, yes, yeah. uh, transcranial, transcranial magnetic stimulation, yeah. Right, and so having those resources, and of course not everybody has the resources, and there's a lot of trauma healing out there. You all, like, find if you can, if you have the resources to do it, find the thing that resonates for you because there is more ability to heal your trauma than there ever has been. And it's not just going to therapy. And I think sometimes in some cases, depending on your therapist, it can be dangerous almost to go to therapy because you're reliving the trauma over and over and over if you're talking about it constantly. And if you're talking about it constantly in your life, a lot of people uncover their trauma and they're just start talking about it and they're just burning those neural pathways deeper and deeper. And what you don't realize is you're re-traumatizing your nervous system when you do that. So there's things like EMDR, the, the work that I do is um, heals a lot of trauma. There's hypnotherapy, you know, the NLP, there's so many different avenues, shamanic healings, um, you know, I, some of my trauma I healed through combo, which is an Amazon, Amazonian frog medicine. And of course, mm. we're hearing more and more and more about the psychedelic therapy. Yes. And, um, you know, I did ayahuasca ceremonies, all of these things. But what I want to tell everybody, because this is important, if you don't have financial resources, and a lot of people don't, the easiest, and it's free, <laughs> this is the, but the easiest way to start healing your trauma is to start sitting still. Close your eyes, sit still, because what happens you know, you could listen to some ambient music, set a timer, whatever it is. What happens is when you sit still is emotions that are trapped in your body, emotions that you stuffed because you didn't have the emotional capacity to deal with that um, at the time will rise up and out. And you have to sit through it. And when you sit through it, you're teaching your nervous system that you're not going to die because your nervous system thinks if that emotion happens, you're going to die because when you stuffed it, you didn't have the resources to handle it and to process it. But by allowing the sensation, because it doesn't necessarily come out as a way you think of as an emotion, but it's a bodily sensation that feels maybe uncomfortable. When it rises up, 
if you get to the, when you get to the other side, you've actually done some trauma healing. And the chemical response of an emotion in your body lasts for 90 seconds. So I promise you, if you sit still through it, even if it feels like you want to run screaming out of the house, you tell yourself you're safe because you're sitting in your house, it will pass in a minute or two. What you've actually done is you've taught your unconscious mind that whatever created that feeling, you now have the resources to handle. It's a hard commitment. It's a hard, you know, and that's why we see a surge of uh, mental health services being needed post-pandemic. We were yeah. forced to sit with ourselves. A lot of us were yeah. forced to sit with those things that we had pushed down, ignored. We couldn't, you know, occupy ourselves with retail therapy or going out with friends. Like you had to sit in your, yeah, like, and, and, you know, and it's one of the silver linings. I think a lot of people are healing. A lot of people are finding things about themselves. Like I look forward to like this cultural renaissance and this like mental health renaissance, like where people are like, no, 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 no. I come first. I need to take care of me. And this is important. And, and not it, not in a selfish way, in a very just that's what's healthy for people to take that time for themselves. So the pandemic sucked, but I, some of the um, results from it, I think, are going to be positive. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you all without the financial resources, just practice sitting every time you get through one of those uncomfortable sensations, you will have healed a little bit of your own personal trauma. Can I add something for people like with the lack of resources be before I was had health insurance and was able to go to therapy and whatnot, I uh, would use our local nonprofits like the, um, can't think of like the Jewish family center nearby, or, you know, there's other counseling services that offer group therapy or offer one-on-one uh, -on -one therapy with interns and it helped it all of it helps even if it's one little nugget like it all helps and, and you can find it out there or find a support system that you know you can talk to there's ways around it but it definitely is is more challenging yeah well and it's you get to make that choice as a you know as a human you get to decide what you want in your life and that's very much what you did you wanted to make your business work and you realized you needed to do something in order to make that happen and i think you know entrepreneurship forces a lot of people into healing um Oof, ain't that the truth <laughs> on that note um, the time goes by so fast. <laughs> I could it does. talk forever on this. Um, <laughs> but tell everybody how they can get in touch with you to um, use your gift, gift, sure. gifting services and help strategize these powerful gifts that help people and companies feel seen and heard. Awesome. Um, the easiest way to reach me is to go to our website, tinselandbow.com. And there you'll find a contact um, link. Um, you can also find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Tinselbow. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a, a lot more active on LinkedIn. And you could look me up under Gifting Strategist. Um, but I love to connect with people. It's one of my favorite things. Network and listen to people's stories and, you know, reach out.
I love to help in any way I can. Awesome. And I know you have like a 15 minute appointment thing where you can have a, like a consultation. That's yeah. Free consultation access. to, um, you know, let's talk about what you've done in the past, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what you're hoping to do, what your goals are. And then we can either come up with a plan if we're a good fit and help you implement that plan throughout the year. And, you know, one of the things I stressed everybody, it's not a one-time thing. It is, it, it, gifting as part of nurturing a relationship. So there's different aspects. It's sending a card, it's sending a gift, it's reaching out. There's, there's so many ways to nurture a relationship. Gifting is just one of them. So that's, Beautiful. that's my pitch. <laughs> and, and if you all are feeling excited about this, unless you're driving, take out your browser and type in tinselandbow.com, T-I-N-S-E-L, a n d b o w dot com, and get in there. Get in there quick. Quick, <laughs> quick. We're selling out. <laughs> so, yeah. And those of you that are looking to create full, rich career fulfillment, whatever that looks like for you, each individual wolf is going to be their own person. If you're ready. Um, let's have a call. Let's have a call and go over what it is that my system can do for you. And you can go to elevatebookacall.com. And again, open up your browser. <laughs> Type it in elevatebookacall.com. Well, Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for... for hosting me and for having this program and for all the energy you put out for people to heal. Thank yeah, you. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for sharing some of your experience with moving through trauma. And for all of you listening, we will see you next time. And have a beautiful day wherever you are in the world. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf. <laughs>